Yeah, Ezekiel 36. Now, it's interesting because as we finished up last Sunday in 2 Chronicles, as we've been going through Sunday mornings through 2 Chronicles, we finished up at the very uh, end of the book in chapter 36 of 2 Chronicles, and we saw how the nation of Judah had just drifted further and further away from the Lord until God finally had to do what? He had to, he had to take them away into captivity where the city was destroyed at Jerusalem, the temple was destroyed. It was a very sad occasion there at the end of Second Chronicles. But this is exactly what God had already told them and, and, and kind of given them a warning that if they will walk in disobedience to him, if they will go away from the Lord, then this is exactly what's going to come. He said in Deuteronomy, all the way back before they'd even come into their own land. He said in Deuteronomy 28, verse 36, the Lord will bring you and the king whom you said over over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known and there you shall serve other gods wood and stone and so God simply carried out for the people of Judah what he had already prophesied and told them will come if they will choose to disobey him and rebel against him and that's exactly what happened as we saw in our study last week and of second chronicles temple destroyed the city of Jerusalem sacked and 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 people taken away into captivity. But now, we so interestingly pick up from where we left off from our previous Wednesday night study before the summer. We were going through Ezekiel. And this is where we pick it up where we left off here in chapter 36. Which is so interesting because it ties in so nicely with how we left off in Chronicles. Because Chronicles ends with the city being taken away. The people of Judah being taken away into captivity. The city destroyed now. Here they've been sitting in Babylon where Ezekiel is writing this, receiving the prophecy from the Lord. He was one of the men that were taken away in in that deportation to Babylon. And so here's Ezekiel now sitting in Babylon and he's writing to bring hope to the captives. Comfort for the captives and encouragement to those in exile. Basically to let them know, listen people, Though it seems like we're in a dark time, God's not done with us. And that's what we begin to see as we pick it up here in chapter 36. The rest of Ezekiel so far has been kind of warning for them to repent because as Ezekiel's been writing to begin with, the city was still standing. The temple was still there. They were still thinking maybe this is temporary. But then the temple got destroyed. People are coming back to Babylon. And now they're beginning to think, oh, Is this it? Have we stepped one too many steps over that line that God has for us? Have we just ruined all hope now? But now in chapter 36, hope begins to get breathed into this prophecy. And I pray that this brings great encouragement to us too to see what God has in store for Israel and how that can even apply to us. So let's look at chapter 36, verse 1. We're going to be doing a lot of reading. So please grab your Bibles. Make sure you're following along here In God's word as we uncover what's happening here. Look at verse 1, chapter 36. And you, son of man, prophesied in the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said of you, Aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say to the, say, Thus says the Lord God, because they made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and you are taken up by the lips of talkers and slandered by the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. 
Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, and the cities that have been forsaken, which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Verse 6, therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers and the valleys, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken of my jealousy and my fury because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. But in verse eight, you mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel for they are about to come. For indeed, I am for you and I will turn to you and you shall be tilled and sown. So here we begin to see now the light breaking through into the darkness for those that are sitting captive in Babylon. Now in chapter 35 of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is told to speak forth to, the, to, to Mount Seir, which is Edom. Now remember Edom, that, that's the descendants of Esau. They sat on the east side of Israel, on the other side of the Jordan River. And so Edom is the descendants of Esau. But here's what Edom did. There was a word in chapter 35 speaking against them. And now we're seeing again kind of a, a follow-up to that. Because these people of Edom, they were rejoicing when they saw what was happening to Israel. When they saw the Babylonians coming in and, and invading Israel and Judah and carrying people away captive. And now Edom sitting there, they're rejoicing this. They're celebrating all that's happening. They're thinking, ah, oh, this land now can be ours, right? But now God says, oh, you looked at them and you ridiculed the shame that was happening to Israel. But now God says in verse 7, you're going to bear your own shame. Because what does God say? He says in verse 5, this is my land. Right? Edom can't sing this. Land is my land. This land. No. God says this is my land. Stop singing that song. It's my land. And it's for Israel. But Edom. The descendants of Esau. The brother of Jacob. This is family to Israel. They should have supported Israel. They should have come to their defense rather than ridicule was happening and look to benefit off of them being broken and that's exactly what happened so god says listen you're going to bear your own shame now and this prophecy shows as god begins to speak and says listen mountains of israel verse 8 you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit because my people israel they're about to come god begins to lay out now this truth for israel that though they're in darkness sitting in captivity hey get ready I speak into the land. The land is getting ready to receive my people once again. And it's going to become fruitful. Because remember how Second Chronicles ended? It talked about them being taken into captivity for 70 years because of the Sabbath years. That Israel did not allow the land to lay in rest. God had commanded in his law that every seventh year was to be a Sabbath year. It was a, it was a year that the land was not to be sown till it was just to lie fallow. And to be given a Sabbath rest. But Israel didn't do it. So over the course of, you know, 490 years or so, there's an accumulation of these 70 years that God says, I'm going to take you to captivity to give the land its rest. 
Well, now the land's been resting. And guess what? Now it's ready to bear fruit. And it's ready to receive its people once more. And I love what we see in verse 8 where God says, Oh, he says, my people, Israel, they're about to come. Think about those words that the people in captivity would have heard. God says, my people, Israel? Because do you think for the last number of years, sitting in captivity, having their homeland destroyed, that they've been thinking that they're God's people? I think they've been sitting there thinking, God's done with us. God doesn't want anything to do with us any longer. We've overstepped our bounds. We, we have messed up royally. We're on our own now. But now they hear those words, my people Israel. That must have been sweet words for them. And God says to the land of Israel that I'm for you. Not against you. I'm going to do a work still here in this land and with my people. And those are words that I think we can bring great even again application to us we know that we can personalize this today because of what romans eight thirty one says what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us just as god said to the land i'm for you now we can personalize this today and say oh god is for us he's not against us whatever we might be facing and going through we know that we can have hope and encouragement because we have a great god who's on our side who wants the best for us and the best comes as we follow in line with his word and his will. Well, I love that. It's all accomplished through his son, Jesus. Whatever might be keeping you captive today, look to God. Look to the God who is for you and has already provided the victory for you through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, let's continue on here. Man, this is good stuff we're into here today. Chapter 36, verse 10 says this, I will multiply men upon you all the house of Israel, all of it, and the city shall be inhabited and the, ru- the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you man and beast and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times and do better for you than at your beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Do you, do you realize that about our God? That he always wants to make the end result better than the beginning. Do you know that when we live our lives sold out for the Lord, it only gets better and better? Just like when Jesus, his first miracle, he provided wine at the wedding and the people would always serve the best last, get people a little bit loosey-goosey and then serve the worst of it because they don't know any better at that point. They don't care. But with Jesus, the man said, you have kept the best till last. That's what God does. He wants to make the end result better than the beginning. And as we live sold out for the Lord, you can bank on that. You can count on that. That life just keeps getting better and better. In the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. So God says just that. I'm going to make the, uh, do better for you than in your beginnings. Then you shall know that I'm the Lord. Verse 12. Yes, I will cause men to walk on you. My people Israel. They shall take possession of you. Not, not men to walk over you. But I'm going to bring my people that will inhabit the land. They will be walking. They will be dwelling on the land again. My people Israel. They shall take possession of you. And you shall be their inheritance. No more shall you bereave them of children. Verse 13. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour men and bereave your nation of children, therefore you shall devour men no more, nor bereave your nation anymore, says the Lord God, nor will I let you hear the taunts of the nations anymore, nor bear the reproach of the peoples anymore, nor shall you cause your nation to stumble anymore, says the Lord God. Though the children of Israel, listen, they they did atrocious things while they were in their land the first time. 
So much so that, that, that God says here that, that you've even, you know, sacrificed your people. They would bring their, their babies up to the, the high places, the mountain areas, the high places, and they would sacrifice their children to the god Molech. They would do atrocious things. But God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empty you of those things. And it's true because after being in Babylon, they're going to be cured from their idolatry. They're never going to go back to idolatry again. They're going to be brought to Babylon where it's capital central. They're going to see the detestable practices that take place to the point where they say, we're sick of this. We don't want anything to do with that anymore. That when God brings them back to their land again, they're never going to fall into idolatry any longer. Oh, there will be, there'll be shortcomings and stumblings of Israel, no doubt about it. But idolatry will not be one of them. God's going to accomplish what he desires to do by bringing them to Babylon and then delivering them back out again. And just take note how many times we've seen the words here, I will. Who's speaking that? God is. God is saying, I will accomplish all of this. I will do these things. This wasn't going to be because Israel says, okay, let's really muster up some energy and strength and let's get out of this situation. Let's make this happen. This is all going to be because the Lord is doing it 20 times in this chapter. We're going to hear those words, I will. It's the Lord that does the work of deliverance and restoration. All that we need to do is follow him. So oftentimes we think we've got to clean ourselves up. We've got to really break free from all the stuff that's, that's holding us back when God simply says, I will do it. Just follow me. Live for me. Obey me. And I will do the work of delivering and restoration. It's the work that only God can do. And God is making that clear here. I will do these things. Well, let's look at this new thing that indeed God is going to do. Look at verse 16 with me. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds when they came to the nation Nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I'm the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Here the Lord lays out a lot of the reason why they had been taken away in exile has been because of their idolatry, because of their bloodshed. And as God judged them, they were taken into other nations where they continued to profane the name of the Lord. To defame the name of the Lord means simply to defile it, to, to pollute it. They didn't honor it, right? So check this out. God says in verse 22, I love that. Verse 22 says, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. Basically, God's saying, it's not because of you, Israel, far from it, but it's because of my name that I'm gonna do these great things. You see, Israel 
didn't deserve this kind of blessing to be delivered out of the land of Babylon. They didn't deserve it. It wasn't because Israel was so wonderful, so holy, so awesome that, that they're selected about. No, this is all about God's name. And he would do this work simply to regain glory and honor to his name. You know, it's so funny, I think, that we can often think that the good we get is all because we deserve it. Or the bad that we get, we don't deserve it. God, what's going on? Why is this happening? I don't deserve this. We think that way sometimes, don't we? And we need to stop thinking so highly of ourselves. Because what we ultimately deserve is, well, I, I think there's one thing that we can all universally say we deserve, and that is hell. It's because of sin. But God comes in graciously and lovingly, and he does the work. He delivers us, he saves us, but he doesn't save us because we're so wonderful, because we deserve it. It's, it's not because of us. It's to glorify his name. Here's the reality, people. God doesn't exist for us. We exist for God. Do you, do you understand that? Think about that. God doesn't exist for us. We exist for God. So oftentimes we think, well, I'm going to live my life and God owes me this and God, needs, God should do this for me. I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible. And, and so God really, I'm, I'm, I'm really throwing up a lot of stuff into my account that God needs to do these things for me. We deserve this now. No, we got it backwards if we think that way. We exist for God. We exist simply to bring honor and glory to God. So if showering us with blessings honors God, then so be it. That's the way I prefer things. Lord, may you be honored by the way that you bless me. May you be honored by the way that you just grow my bank account or give me all these things. Lord, be honored through that. But on the flip side... If God's going to be honored and glorified by bringing me through adversity and trial so that he can show himself strong in delivering me through and bringing me through the other side, then so be it. That's what he did with his own people when he brought them out of Egypt. He brought them to the Red Sea. Remember, they're stuck there. They got nowhere to go. Mountains on either side of them. Pharaoh's army bearing down behind them. They got the Red Sea in front of them. They're trapped. And they begin to whine and complain and cry and think, you've only brought us here, Moses, to cause us to die in the wilderness here. And yet God says, no. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I'm doing this so that I can glorify my name even in the eyes of Pharaoh. God brought them to a place where it seemed like there was nowhere else to go and through a difficult circumstance so that God could be glorified. And he did, he brought them through. He brought them through to where they're ready to come into the land. And what's happening now? They go to see Rahab the, and, and she's you know, helping them out. And she's saying, listen, we've heard of all the things that God has done. And there is dread of your God in all of this land. The people are afraid because they've heard what God has done. What happened? They didn't say, oh, those people of Israel must be so special. They got through the Red Sea. They said, no, God is so wonderful because he brought his people through the Red Sea. God desires to bring glory through, to his name through every situation we go through. And it's a wonderful way to live life thinking that everything that we endure, every circumstance of life, is an opportunity for God to be praised. Do you realize that? And that's what we're to be about, living for the glory and honor of our great God. So whether I go through 
a sickness or the loss of a loved one. Or I go through another kind of difficult experience. I get to go through those thinking, okay, God, you're for me. You're not against me. You're with me now. So Lord, I get to sit back now and see what you're going to do through this. Because this now becomes an opportunity to simply glorify your name by revealing your goodness through this. Oh, it may not feel good at the time, but there will come a time when we get to sit back and go, ah, I see now, God, what you're doing. And you gain glory for your name through it. That's the way that we should be living our lives and dealing with everything that comes along our path. Well, let's continue on here. Verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Nor for your sake do I do this, or not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Again, Lord is reminded, listen, this is not because of you and what you've done. Look at what you've done and be ashamed. That's what God says, right? It's not about you. It's not about what you've done, but it's for my name's sake. And what a glorious turnaround God is doing here for the Jew. Many people wonder, now, as we look at this regathering of his people to their land, many people wonder, is this speaking of the regathering after their captivity of Babylon, or is it the return to their land that happened in the 40s, right, when they became a nation once again in 1948, or... Is this possibly regarding the regathering that is going to come after the great tribulation? Now, with all that we're reading, it seems to fit with the regathering of the Jews after the great tribulation. In the end times, they're going to be scattered again because of the Antichrist. But God will do a good work in them spiritually. He's going to give them, it says, a new heart and put a new spirit within them. We've seen in our day, people come back to the land and be established politically and nationally. But there's coming a day yet still where God is going to do a greater work and establish them spiritually, when he's going to give them a new heart, a heart of flesh, and put a new spirit within them. That's in line with that new covenant that Jeremiah speaks of. You see, though they returned to their land after being in Babylon, their hearts were not fully aligned with God's word because they would eventually reject their Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they would be driven from the land once again and see the temple destroyed by the romans in 70 a.d but god is not done with israel right he's going to fulfill his promises he will restore them not just physically nationally but spiritually he will give them a new heart and a new spirit they will follow him sincerely then as their god now listen we're seeing that in part now and we get to see kind of the the the, the beginnings of this word taking place, the fulfillment of it. And it's exciting when you go to Israel and you see all these things like the land just bearing fruit, the land becoming bountiful. And, and it wasn't that way just a number of years ago where people thought, man, this land is just unfit for habitation even. But now it's springing forth, uh, forth 
fruitfulness, becoming one of the leading exporters of fruit and vegetation. It's amazing to see. And people coming back to the land. It's amazing. But we're going to see it taking place in greater measure when Jesus returns. Let's see how this finishes up here. Verse 33. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities... I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden and the wasted, desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I am, I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as Holy sacrifices like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast day. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. It's amazing. What God has in store for his people. He's just going to make it plentiful, bountiful. Listen to what Sandy Adams wrote here or, or, or said. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor. And he said this. Over the years, so-called scholars have doubted the literalness of these promises, these very ones we just looked at. Roman Catholic theologians denied their literal fulfillment and applied them spiritually to the Catholic Church. In 19, or sorry, in 1589, when Francis Kett began to preach a literal rebirth of Israel, the church burned him at the stake. In recent times, skeptics scoffed at the fulfillment of these promises. The 1911 Encyclopedia Britannica commented on the revival of the Hebrew language. The possibility, it said, that we can never again or ever again Recover the correct pronunciation of ancient Hebrew is as remote as the possibility that a Jewish empire will ever again be established in the Middle East. Remember, they're writing that before 1948. Of course, today we are witnessing regathered Jews speaking a revived Hebrew language in their ancient homeland of Israel. When Count Zinzendorf stood trial for his faith in Jesus, the infidel of Prussia, Frederick the Great, asked him, Give me one infallible proof that the Bible is the word of God. And Zinzendorf replied, the Jew. That's all he had to say. It's all right there for us. Because if God doesn't fulfill what we're looking at here in God's word, then we can say, oh, the Bible's not true. It's not accurate. But God has laid this all out. And we're beginning to see the effects that we've already seen how the Jew has survived so many times. Sandy Adams goes on to say, no people group in the history of mankind has been exiled and scattered among foreign lands for 2,000 years, survived countless persecutions, including the Inquisitions, Crusades, and the Holocaust, yet managed to retain their identity, language, and religion and be reunited against, again in their ancient land. Mark Twain once wrote, All things are mortal but the Jews. <laughs> All the other forces pass, but here remains. What is the secret of his immortality? Hey, The secret is that Israel is the beneficiary of God's never-failing promises. It took 2,500 years for Ezekiel's prophecies to be realized, but when God makes a promise, guess what? He keeps it. No matter how preposterous it may seem, no matter how men may scoff, God's promises are always sure and certain. Amen to that. All right, listen. I know I'm running out of time, but I did chapter 37 already in the first service, and you guys need to keep up with the first service, all right? And we, we've got nothing, nothing coming up, so we can just go as long as we need to. But chapter 37, it's not going to be long. Don't worry about it. I'm just scaring you. It's going to be fine. 
Look at chapter 37. It ties in so nicely what we're looking at here already. And it leads us so wonderfully into what we're going to look at next week here. Verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So he answered, oh Lord God, you know. Isn't that a good way to answer the Lord when he asks you a question? Oh Lord, what are you asking me for? You know. Just, you know, just tell me the answer, right? Isn't that great? He's just like, oh, Lord, you know. Again, verse 4, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I'm the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone indeed. As I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered over them, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Verse 10. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is so good. God gives Ezekiel now just this wonderful vision of this valley of dry bones, and it's a prophecy for the people of Israel. You see, as they saw the temple destroyed, sitting in Babylon, Jerusalem was sacked, people taken into captivity, they must have thought, that's it. We have no more hope now. We're doomed. There's nothing left for us. But Ezekiel is told to prophesy to these dry bones. And he speaks the word of the Lord. There in verse 4. And, and there seems to be this rattling taking place. And the bones come together. Sinews and flesh come upon them. And skin is covering over them. So now we see these bodies come together. But there's no breath. It's like this kind of zombie apocalypse at the moment right now, right? It's just these bodies like, you know, coming together, but there's no breath, no life to them in a sense. So Ezekiel is told to prophesy again and now prophesy to the breath that these bones may live. And indeed, what happens? Breath comes into them. Now we're going to be told in verse 11 that this is speaking of the people of Israel. This is a prophecy. This is referencing Israel. And, and Israel stands as a great example of lesson for us. Because the more that we go on walking in disobedience to the Lord, guess what's going to happen? The drier we're going to be. That was the state of Israel here. They had rebelled against God, disobeyed Him continuously. And now they were nothing but a wasteland. A valley of dry bones with no life to it. Hey, we can't expect to go on living in vibrancy if we're not going to be following the Lord's, the Lord's word and, and being led of his spirit. We need that. It's essential in our lives. If you're feeling dry or desolate today, there's a way to change that. Be people that get into the word of God. Allow it to, to fit you back together as what happened here with Ezekiel, but also allow the Holy Spirit to breathe life into you filling you and strengthening you to live out God's word. We have to notice here the parallel in our own regeneration. There must be the word of the Lord and the spirit of God working together. You know what's so cool is that there on, um, oh boy, my, I've just gone, oh, Masada. So there in Israel in Masada, Masada became kind of the last standoff when the Romans were coming and invading Jerusalem. They'd moved to Jerusalem already and the people were being pushed further down south and Masada became the last standoff. They'd built a big Jewish community there and there, there was a synagogue up there 
And what was discovered in, 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 you know, a number of years ago was these ostracons, these, these little pot, you know, shards that had scripture written on it. What they found under the synagogue, on the floor of the synagogue, were these little pot shards with Ezekiel 37 written down. It's as though this word was being given there as they're standing off, just basically waiting for the Romans to finally take them out. And they're being reminded of this very passage. Right now, we feel like a valley of dry bones. And they would be looking out on the, on the Dead Sea Valley, dry, arid place. And probably feeling like just a valley of dry bones. But being given hope here in Ezekiel 36 and 37. That God's not done with you yet. That God has something in store. It's amazing to see how that all fits together. Oh, man. Verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say... Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Man, that's where... Can you imagine reading that in that synagogue up on Masada? It's just after 70 AD. The temple is destroyed and the Romans are coming down on them and they're reading this. Hey, your hope is not cut off. Your hope is not cut off. God's going to bring you into the land. Oh, that's so sweet. When all hope seems to be lost, man, may we be people that look to the Lord because he can bring life from that which was once dead. Understand that you might be sitting here today feeling, man, I, I just feel dry, I feel desolate, I feel just dead. Listen, God's in the business of bringing life to that which was dead. He did that with the people of Israel, he'll do that with us. If we allow him to, if we look to him. Then in verse 15 we see Ezekiel is told to give another illustrated sermon. There were many times through the book of Ezekiel that God had Ezekiel basically act out the message that he wanted to give to the people. And here he's told to act out again another message. Look at verse 15. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it. For Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick, and they'll become one in your hand. And when the children of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not show us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the, the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join them with it, with a stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and, and will gather them from every side, and bring them into their own land. Verse 22, And I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. How sweet. So remember the history of Israel. Under Saul and David and Solomon, they were a united kingdom. But then Rehoboam, Solomon's son, came on in the scene. And Jeroboam comes in and there's a rebellion and the nation is divided. 
We now have the northern kingdom of Israel made up of the ten tribes and the southern kingdom of Israel made up of Judah and Benjamin. So the southern kingdom becomes represented primarily through Benjamin and the northern kingdom oftentimes is referenced as Ephraim, which was the largest tribe. And remember, Ephraim is the son of Joseph. So that's why we see here Joseph being mentioned in Ephraim and then Judah. They're representing these two nations. He says, take a stick, Ezekiel, right on it. Uh, for Joseph and, and Ephraim. No stick, run it for, for Judah. But take these two sticks representing the two kingdoms that have been divided. Join them together, make one stick because God says, I want to unite them together. We're going to see again a revived nation that's not going to be divided. It's going to be together because God is all about unity. Wasn't that the great, you know, prayer of Jesus in John 17? Father, make them one as we are one. That's what God desires is unity. It's in unity that people really begin to see the love we have for one another. Listen, there's a lot of things that we can divide over. And I'm going to be careful not to get on a rant here. But there's a lot of things that we can divide over, even within the church. And I hate it when, we, when I see people attacking one another that are on the same side. Listen, there's things that we can divide over, but there's a lot more that we can unite over. And that's in Jesus Christ. And so if I see a Christian brother that might do things a little bit differently, might have a different way of doing things, but is for Jesus and getting the gospel out, then I don't want to attack them. I don't want to pick them apart for things that they might do differently. Let's focus on what we can unite over because that's what God is into. And so here they are bringing these these nations together once again. Now again, this is speaking of a time beyond just the return of Babylon because it says they'll be under one king. Now, that hasn't happened since the days of Rehoboam. They haven't had a king since Zedekiah, which we talked about last week in Second Chronicles 36. Remember, Zedekiah was bound, and then he was blind, and he's taken to Babylon. That was the last king that they had. They haven't had a king since then. So we're speaking of a future event here, and this king is seen in the next verse. And here's where we close it out. Don't worry, we're coming to an end. Verse 24. David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I've given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there. Say, uh, or sorry, and they shall dwell there. They, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Listen, many have viewed this future king here, as reference to David, as being Jesus Christ, the son of David. And no doubt we know that Jesus is coming back and he's going to establish his kingdom reign and his rule on this earth. But it's also possible here that when we read David, my servant shall be king over them, that we're speaking of a literal David being elevated to some position of kingship once again during the millennium as God will have his Old Testament saints resurrected. It tells us when Jesus comes back, he's coming back with who at his side? All the saints. Old and New Testament saints. They're going to be coming back where they're going to be brought into the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, the reign of Jesus. Look at what Jeremiah 30 verse 9 says. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king whom I will raise up for them. 
Now many see that perhaps this David is the literal David and, and they shall all have one shepherd, it says in verse 24, which is speaking of Jesus. We know that Jesus is going to be reigning and ruling literally and physically, but very likely we're going to have David sitting in a place of, of kingship again. And it'll be at that time that God's sanctuary will be right in the midst of everyone. Their dwelling will settle around the presence of God. Just like it was, as, as we've been seeing in Numbers on Wednesday nights here, just like when they were to encamp in the wilderness, all the, the tribes were divided all around the tabernacle. The tabernacle where God's presence would be. In other words, God says, I want my dwelling, I want my presence to be at the very center of your living. And that's how it's going to be in these days to come where God says, I'm going to dwell among you. My sanctuary shall be there with you in the midst forever. And there's going to be that renewal of that covenant of peace. Isn't that good? Israel will one day and finally dwell in their land in peace. No longer on the threat of enemies. And listen, Israel, sadly, here's a little piece of real estate made uh, Israel, the size of New Jersey. It's not large. And they're bordered by huge nations with lots of land to spare. The issue is not, we want Israel because of the land that's not rightfully theirs. They have just a little piece of land. If you want to help out other people, man, there's lots of land to spare over there. The issue is not about real estate. It's, it's a spiritual matter. And Israel has enemies, numeracy. It's like the whole world is against Israel. But listen, God's going to step in and deal with it. And that's what takes us to our next chapter. If we're going to have peace, well, God's got to deal with those that are going to threaten peace. And that's where I pick it up in chapter 38. Let's just get into it right now because I'm on a roll. Chapter, no. I won't. We're going to leave it right there. But chapter 38 and chapter 39, how many people are, no, I'm not even going to ask that. It's okay. Chapter 38, 39 deals with the Gog-Magog war. And it's a fascinating, fascinating couple chapters of scripture and we're going to see some really interesting things that listen guys we are seeing unfolding right today before our eyes the very things that we're going to be looking at next week we are seeing coming together right now with the nations working together against israel and god laid it out for us right here with ezekiel of what we can expect and we're seeing it happening today man the bible is so good and we're going to cover that next week Chapter 38, maybe chapter 39, hopefully, and uh, we'll pick it up there. All right, listen, before we close, a couple points of application we can look at here that we've gone through already, but just to bring to reminder to go with here today. First of all, when things might look their darkest, as they were for the people of Israel in Babylon, look to God, because he desires to give you a future and a hope. He did that with Israel, and I believe that applies for us. Sometimes, secondly, the difficulty we endure in life is simply opportunity for God to bring glory to himself. So sit back, let him do his thing, and enjoy the adventure as he brings all things together for the good and for his glory. Thirdly, when you're feeling dry and lifeless, get into God's word and let his word strengthen you and allow his spirit to revive you because that's what God wants to do. Give him the opportunity by daily coming to the Lord in the word and praying asking the Holy Spirit to guide you in his word and to teach you and feed you and strengthen you for the day, for the week ahead, all right? So let's be doing that. Let's pray. 
And then we'll be dismissed. Thank you for giving me grace. Maybe you didn't give me grace today. Maybe you're angry, and I'll pray for you right now, but hopefully you give me grace today for our time. And uh, let's go to the Lord. Thank you, God, for just allowing us to sit under your word and how you addressed this word to your people, Israel, to reveal, Lord, that you're not done with them. And uh, you are a promise-keeping God. And we get to read a passage like this and see how that is being played out even today in an incredible way where we have the nation of Israel. It's been taken out of the land several times, but brought back, revived, restored as a nation. But Lord, you're going to continue on that work and do a greater work spiritually in them in a day that's yet to come. And we look forward to that. We're seeing that happening in part today, but we know you're going to continue that on. And it gives us that reminder today that as you were for your people, Not because of them, but because of your glory and for your name. Lord, you do that in us. You work in us. You bring us through things. You do a great work in us, all for your praise and glory. And so may we live, rest assured that whatever we're facing in life, it's an opportunity for you to work out your plans and purposes and all for your praise. And so we yield ourselves to you now. We pray that you'd strengthen us and lead us on now, we ask in your name. Amen.